Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of the Cortalinas podcast. Uh, we've had a small break, but we are back. Uh, and I'm super excited today because we have got a lot to talk about uh, with a very special guest, Pedro Cunha, journalist and editor of Mais Futebol, which is one of my favorite Portuguese uh, news outlets and just in a nonstop uh, source of information for all things Portuguese football. So how are you doing, Pedro? Zach, how are you doing, mate? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you again. Absolutely. So before we begin, can you just tell me a bit about your role in Mais Futebol, how you got started with Mais Futebol, and what do you think separates Mais Futebol from other Portuguese news outlets? So first of all, I'm with Mais Futebol since 2006, so 15 years already. And everything started because my old newspaper, O Comércio do Porto, closed closed doors uh, with financial problems and uh, the guys from Mais Futebol uh, chose me at the time to be in the Porto headquarters. I started as a simple journalist and with some talent I think and a lot of work I climbed the wall uh, inside the, the company and I'm uh, the chief editor in uh, the Porto headquarters since uh, 2016 so five years ago and I worked in the north I'm coordinating the, the north of Portugal and the, the, the city of Porto and the clubs of this region. So FC Porto, Boa Vista, Braga, all of them. And about your second question. Well, I think in my football, the main difference between our project and the others, it's the way we tell stories. I think that we look, first of all, to the human being behind the football player. And we try to give some emphasis to that situation in our, in our daily publication. Uh, it's a real pleasure to discover how everything started with that player, the family, the first club, why he, he chose to play football. And my football is um, above all the situations, that one, the tell the story behind the football player, uh, the human being. Yeah, absolutely. Last year, I was reading an interview that you did with Lucas Piazon when he was still at QAV, and uh, it was just fantastic. It really gave me a great idea of what the, <laughs> the human is like behind the player. But there have really been so many interviews and stories that, that I've enjoyed. I think that the interviews uh, of Maish Football are probably the best thing that they offer. Um, it's just Thank you so much, Sex. Thank you. Really. It's a very good website. I wanted to ask you, because you are living in Porto right now, I wanted to ask mm -hmm. you a bit about Porto. There was some controversy with, I guess, press freedom, which is a theme I want to get into to start the episode. Um, mm -hmm. There was a controversial episode where Sergio Conceição was, you know, after the elimination of Juventus, there were no Portuguese journalists to ask him any questions. So I wanted to ask you about that and how that occurred. But also, what do you think of the current situation of press freedom amongst Portuguese football? Mm -hmm. So it's like about the situation after Juventus FC Porto, I have to tell you, first of all, that I was not working at the time. I was at home. It was my day off. But Wednesday, the day after the, the match, I spoke with my colleagues and they explained me what happened. I will tell you um, to make a, a short version of that. So in the day before the match, uh, we received a mail from Juventus with a, a Zoom link to the press conference of Sergio Conceição and Andrea Pirlo. The week before, 
FC Porto sent us the same mail, but the links were different. So the guys from Juventus told us, guys, hey, we changed the links. These are the correct ones. So try to connect with them and we to, to get access to the to the virtual press conference. Um, my colleague, Vitor Maia, another journalist, uh, did uh, exactly that after the match. He tried to connect the, with the press conference of Sergio and uh, he had some problem. The, the link was not correct. Immediately, he tried to contact with, uh, with Rui Cerqueira, the press officer of uh, FC Porto. He did not receive the answer, but at first he thought that maybe the problem was only with him. So he, he just waited for a couple of minutes and then 30 minutes after that, the people uh, in the newsroom started to understand that uh, the, pr- the, the problem was, was major and Spanish newspapers already tried to make uh, a new uh, a piece about that with, with uh, like a, a little bit of scandal. And it was nothing to do with that. It was just a technical issue. Uh, more than, than ever, uh, the guys at my football, my, my journalists wanted to, to speak with, with Sergi. It was a great moment for FC Porto, for the Portuguese football. FC Porto is a major club in, in our country. We work here in the, in the north and FC Porto is the most important club. And of course, it was a, a frustration to us. And, and I understand at the same time uh, to Sergio also. But it was bad luck. Because the guys in the press room of Juventus sent us the, the wrong link. The link to, to Pirlo's press conference was okay. And it was very sad. But I don't know why FC Porto tried to change a little bit the, the story. And they put the, the, the journalists as the bad guys, uh, as they sometimes do. Your other question, Zach, was about the, the press freedom, right? Yes. Well, what I can tell you is about my personal experience. And this is completely completely true. I'm working here in Portugal as a journalist for 20 years. I have worked in the past in, the, in politics, in, um, in music, in cinema, and I'm working in sports for almost uh, 16 years now. What I can tell you is I've never uh, had anything wrong in my relationship with the clubs. It was always a good relationship, but other colleagues of mine can tell you the same. And the last case was very famous here in Portugal. It was after the match between uh, FC Porto and Sporting Lisbon, a very important one. As you know, Porto is uh, second right now, 10 points behind Sporting. And the draw at the, the, the Dragão was very good for, for the guys of uh, Ruben Amorim for Sporting Lisbon. So they maintained the 10 points in the lead. After the match, a friend from Zero um, Zero, another very good project here in Portugal, asked Ruben Amorim why uh, the FC Porto bench uh, was always arguing with the referee, tried to put some pressure on the game. I don't know if that's a good question or a bad question. Is It was the question that uh, Duarte, the, the journalist, chose at the time. If the guys of FC Porto did not like the question, they have the official channels to, to make protests, to put that, uh, that ideas to the public. Uh, the way they, uh, they decided to, to react, it's completely forbidden. They can't uh, react in the press conference room. They can't uh, tell lies about Duarte's life. So it was very bad. And of course, Duarte uh, spent some terrible days after that. What I can tell you about my situation, I'm completely free. I work with no problems in Portugal. I'm the leader of my uh, newspaper here in the north. I try to, to assure that my colleagues have the same treatment as I have. 
I have a good relationship with the guys in FC Porto and Sporting Braga, but sometimes when the results are not good, the, the guilty one is always the journalist. That's the mentality here in Portugal. I don't know if it's the same in the United States, in England, in Spain. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think here it's worse. But I'm, I'm hoping that in the future things can improve. I don't believe in miracles. The problem in Portugal is that, in my opinion, people love more the clubs than the football. So the passion is sometimes it's uh, the, cause, the cause of the blindness of the supporters and all, uh, also the directors, coaches, players. And we have to deal with that. Uh, fortunately, uh, I don't know, Uh, any situation that uh, have put uh, in danger the physical uh, situation of the journalist. But of course, the, the context is not perfect for you to work. Uh, we try to, to work uh, with completely freedom uh, here in Porto, also in Lisbon, but sometimes these situations happen. I don't know, let's hope for the best and let's hope that in the future things will improve, uh, Zach. Absolutely. It's a really tough situation. I think the tribalism as well is something that is completely yeah. pervasive in, in Portuguese culture. Tribalism, that's a, that's a correct expression, tribalism. I want to get into another part of, before we move into international football, uh, mm -hmm. I do want to touch up on something that happened positively for Porto. Obviously, it's been a great month for them. Uh, looking back at, you know, you had the, the Tassa elimination to Braga, but mm -hmm. since then, you know, Porto have been doing quite well domestically. Obviously, they eliminated Juventus, and domestically, they're still putting pressure on Sporting, although it doesn't look like they will win the title. Mm -hmm. And just recently, we saw very good news off the pitch for Porto, Uh, tying down Otavio to a new contract player, yep. player who was out of contract this summer and they got him to sign a new contract. And, you know, traditionally Porto have struggled with that kind of thing. You know, they were forced to sell Alex Tejas, uh to, to Manchester United before the uh, transfer window ended because he was, his, his contract was set to expire this summer. We saw that with a lot of cases, right? Yassin Brahimi, Hector mm -hmm. Herrera uh, leaving on free transfers. But getting Otavio to Tucson, you know, one of Sergio Conceição's most important players, uh, extremely important. What do you think that that says? Do you think that there's a chance for that same uh, process to be repeated with other players, such as uh, Tecatito Corona, for example? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, how, how important is that for Porto? Uh, very important, Zach. Very, very, very important. Otavio is in the club since 2014. He just came here as a young kid from, uh, from Brazil, Internacional de, de, de Porto Alegre at the time. I must confess that uh, in the beginning, I, I looked at Otavio and I had many doubts about his talent. He seemed like just another Brazilian kid with some talent, but not that passion for the match, you know. Um, he was playing and he was a little bit like just uh, passing some time with his friends. But in the last two or three years, uh, Sergio Conceição changed completely his mentality and Otavio became a, a, a real good midfielder. Uh, very good with the ball, with a lot of blood in his veins. He filled the club, he filled the badge in his chest. So it's uh, it was a very, very very good in, uh, information for, uh, for FC Porto fans in the last week because, as you told and very well, Zach, um, FC Porto supporters were a little bit traumatized with the loss of Brahimi and Herrera 
as a free transfer. It was a scandal at the time because Yassin Brahimi was the most spectacular player in FC Porto for four seasons. Uh, he left the club and the club did not receive anything from him. Uh, with Hector Herrera, the same situation. But I must say that I believe that only this uh, extraordinary campaign in the Champions League made it possible to do this with, with Otavio. And uh, Porto now is trying to do the same with Musa Marega, the forward. And only because these millions that are incoming from the Champions League campaign. As you know, uh, the major problem in the Portuguese football, comparing with England, Spain, Italy, Germany, is the TV rights. The, the budget of, of FC Porto is worse than, uh, for example, Atalanta. Atalanta is, a, is a, a much smaller club than FC Porto, but they have a, a, a better budget. The TV rights in Italy are more fair, more strong, and the money that they get to, uh, in the stadiums with, with spectators is much, more, much better than in Portugal. So Portuguese clubs are struggling with this situation and try to, to fight with, with their arms. There are of course, a good European campaign and selling players. And uh, when, uh, in, in the cases of Herrera and Brahimi, you lost your players and you don't receive anything from them, that's the worst case scenario. So this week, uh, answering to our question with Otavio was, was a very good information to FC Porto supporters. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as you said, the Champions League triumph is, is incredibly important for Porto to convince these players to sign on to longer term contract. Uh, you know, now that uh, Otavio is tied down, you know, you have a few key, you know, promising young players such as Fabio Vieira and Diogo Costa who are entering the final 15 months of their deal. Also have mm-hmm. two starters in Jesus Corona and uh, Chancel Mbemba, whose contract expires in 2022. And, of course, Marega, uh, whose contract expires this summer. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on Marega, because I know there are a lot of Porto fans <laughs> who... Well, he, he's just a, he's a very... Uh, how do I say it? He's a very controversial player, I guess, amongst yeah. Porto fan base, right? I mean, been, you know, very important for Conceição, but, you know, he's certainly not the most graceful player on the ball, uh, but he has played an important role in Porto, you know, swinging the balance from Benfica over the past few years. W- you know, what what do you think Porto should do with Marega? I mean, I know there are a lot of Porto fans who, who would like, you know, we've talked about him on the pod, but to, to give Evan Nielsen uh, a mm-hmm. shot alongside Meritaremi in attack and, you know, perhaps let Marega leave on a free transfer. What do you think of Marega? <laughs> and uh, what, what do you think of those Porto fans who, who say that Evan Nielsen uh, should be uh, given a chance to, to start a- alongside Taremi? Zach, first, first my opinion about the, the player. I played many years football. My father was a, used to be a coach. And I can promise you this. Uh, in, in my father's team, Marego would never play. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. For sure. But in other hand, so I prefer, I prefer another kind of, of forwards, of strikers. That's my opinion as a former football player and uh, as an expert uh, in, in football. Um, that's my opinion. So uh, I completely understand that Sergio Conceição has a different idea uh, about a football team. And uh, speaking a little bit uh, in favor of Marega, in the last four seasons, he, he, he scored 70 goals. That's a very good number, for sure. He's always fighting. He's a warrior. No, no doubt about that. He's always trying to give an extra energy to the team. But 
his, his relationship with, with the ball is not perfect. Sometimes he's a little bit clumsy, you know, on the field. Uh, he, he has many problems uh, in the reception uh, in the past. So the basics are a problem for, for Morega. But sometimes he, he, he scored a fantastic goal with the head. He received the ball. He goes to um, uh, alone to the to the attack, and he, he can do something different. And and Sergio Conceição loves Marega, loves Marega. Why? Because um, he is the, the the only player that can uh, really explore the space between the defense and the goalkeeper. He's fantastic on that. No doubt about uh, about that. So he's like the sun. Uh, of Sergio Conceição on football. I understand this option uh, with Marega, uh, but I think that the, the majority of FC Porto uh, supporters prefer uh, another kind of player. And Zach, uh, uh, if you remember, uh, in the last 10 years, and I'm not speaking about the long past, so in the last 10 years, Porto had Radamel Falcão, Jackson Martinez, that are top strikers, top players, top strikers, and Marega is not at this level. But um, if you ask my opinion, I think that FC Porto is trying everything to retain Musa Marega because uh, he's a, um, a favorite of, uh, of Sergio Conceição. Uh, Conceição loves Marega and uh, the football that Sergio Conceição uh, demands for the team demands a player like, like Musa Marega. So it's a relation of love and hate between Marega, the supporters, Sergio Conceição and the board. is a a tricky one, but Marega uh, will stay at the club, I think. Yeah, at the end of the day, if you're going to bet on Conceição staying for the next you know, three years or whatever, and it seems that Pinto da Costa really does want Conceição to, to remain uh, and, and guide this long-term project, it would make sense to renew Marega and, and not let him leave on a free mm-hmm. transfer, uh, whatever yeah. you think of him. I want to move on now to the national team now. So, you know, mm-hmm. Portugal play Luxembourg in about an hour. So by the time this recording's finished, by the time we get this recording up, you know, on, on the on the social channels, uh, the results will have already happened. But, you know, I, I want to touch up on Portugal's first two matches. So the first match, we saw Portugal, you know, take a pretty... I, I don't think it was, it was that... It was, it was somewhat ugly, I'll say. A one nothing win over Azerbaijan, you know, Comparing a team like Azerbaijan to Portugal, looking at the talent that was on display, uh, even without even with Pepe uh, missing out due to injury, you would think that they could beat them, you know, with by a lot more. So there was a one nothing win over Azerbaijan, as well as a two two draw against Serbia. Obviously, there was that controversial goal uh, from Cristiano Ronaldo ruled out in the final minute. So I wanted to get your thoughts on the overall performance of the Selecao over the first two games. Are there any concerns that you feel uh, going into this summer's Euros by watching those two games? My opinion is a little bit strange, Zach, and I know that. But I don't have any concerns because I think Portugal will do excellent in the European Championship because it's it's a, a team that loves to play small tournaments. It's very strong on that. But sometimes it's not um, beautiful to watch. It's the style of of Fernando Santos since he was a a young coach. It's always like that. But sure, when you look at this team, at this squad, with Diogo Jota, with uh, João Félix, with uh, Bernardo Silva, with Pedro Neto, 
and I'm not speaking with uh, about Cristiano, you are always expecting something special. And when we you were talking about the match against Azerbaijan, it was ugly. It was really ugly. Before the match, I watched the, the starting lineup and I was really, wow, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to watch these, these guys playing together. It will, it will be fun to watch. Because, you know, uh, the Portuguese uh, football history is a little bit about that. Fast football with a lot of technique, uh, many goals and with problems in the defense. Since uh, Fernando Santos took the national team, things are a little bit different. And that's why I, I think Portugal will do very well in the European Championship because the squad is very solid, is very intelligent, pragmatic. But when you had in the other side a, a fragile team, you are expect, expecting some, something more. In the first half in, uh, in Belgrade, for, for example, against Serbia, uh, I loved the, the football of, of the Portuguese team. Uh, Diogo Jota is fantastic. I think he has to be in the starting eleven with uh, Cristiano and another guy, Bernardo, uh, for example. Uh, Diogo, he, he has the, when you look at Diogo Jota, you don't give uh, anything for him. He's a normal guy, very common, like a guy that sits uh, with you in a, in a coffee, coffee table, enjoy a beer or two. But when you are watching uh, Diogo Jota play, playing, he's amazing. He's, uh, always very competitive. Um, for example, I prefer Diogo Jota in my team than João Félix. I'm not saying that he's, uh, this talent uh, is above João, uh, João, João's talent, but I think Diogo is more regular. He assures you uh, some things that João Félix can, can, can give you in this moment. So I prefer Diogo Jota. But in the second, uh, second half, you, you watch the, the, the Portuguese team making strange mistakes. And of course, in the end, we have that uh, huge mistake of the referee and the assistant referee. And uh, you are at home and asking, so where is the, the, the video referee? You don't have a video referee in this kind of matches. It's, it's strange, but it's another conversation. So about the quality of Portugal, it, the first half was very good, playing that kind of football that I think Portugal should play. And second half, uh, making uh, strange mistakes with Cristiano performing uh, very, very bad indeed. Yeah, crazy how uh, Diogo Jota, a guy who really was was not even starting for Wolves a few uh, months ago, is, is now you know on the verge of maybe even becoming a starter for Portugal. But mm -hmm. you got to give him credit. I mean, he's done the job uh, when given the opportunity. I want to yeah. get your take on on some other players though, because we we saw you know Nuno Mendes Nuno Mendes make his a starting debut for Portugal. We also saw a few players brought into the fold, such as Sergio Oliveira uh, starting against Serbia. So I wanted to get your take on that. Uh, and but and also I wanted to ask with Pep out, we saw two players partner Ruben Diaz in the center of defense, Domingos Duarte and Jose Font. So I'm assuming that that Pepe will be back and fit mm -hmm. for the Euros, but uh, he has struggled a bit with injuries, and you know there's no guarantee, especially if Porto do go far in the Champions League, there's no guarantee that he's going to be you know 100% ready, ready to go. Uh, that, that he's going to avoid another injury uh, that could keep him out for the Euros. So my question is, you know, hypothetically, if, if Pep were to miss out uh, on the Euros, who would you rather start alongside Diaz, Font or Duarte? Uh, Duarte. 
guards. <laughs> short, uh, short answer. I, 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 I will tell you why. Of course, Domingos Duarte is playing in, the, in a very good le level at uh, in the Spanish league, uh, in a medium club, but uh, playing very well. Jose Font, of course, very experienced, very solid guy. But when I'm looking to to the Jose playing, I'm uh, identifying some problems in the speed, in the way he's positioning now. So, if you ask my opinion, I prefer to see Ruben Dias, that is the leader. Is a guy that loves to command, playing with 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 Domingos Duarte. That is a guy that uh, can really combine combine well well with with Ruben. Saying this, I'm really hoping that Pepe uh, improve in the the next couple of weeks. Is a miracle. Pep is a miracle. If you watch the game between Juventus and FC Porto, really, I, I'm speaking about one of the best exhibitions I've ever seen on a central defender. He was amazing, amazing, amazing. A guy with 39 years old playing at his level. It's, it's unbelievable. He's still the, the, the best central, central defender of Portugal. And I really hope he can do uh, quite well in the next summer in the European uh, Championship playing alongside with, with Ruben. If Pepe has some, some physical problems, I think that uh, Domingos Duarte can be a, a, a good option. But just to finalize, I think that Fernando Santos will, will choose Jose Fontes. Very interesting. Um, so I wanted to get your opinion as well on midfield because that's mm -hmm. that's one where, you know, like, like attack, like pretty mm -hmm. much any... Like like most areas for Portugal, uh, it's really up in the air. So against Azerbaijan, we saw João Moutinho, Bernardo Silva, and Rubenes uh, play in the midfield trio. Um, Bruno Fernandes do pretty well coming off the bench as well. Uh, against Serbia, on the other hand, we saw Sergio Oliveira starting alongside Danilo Pereira and Bruno Fernandes. I'm pretty disappointed that João Paulinho hasn't gotten more game time. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I think it's clear that, fortunately, despite his impressive season at, at Sporting, you know, it, he won't be a starter for Portugal, which, you know, is unfortunate, but it is what it is. What do you think will be Portugal's uh, starting midfield trio at, at the Euros? It's completely up in the air, as you, uh, as you said, Zach. And uh, we did not see anything almost anything from Bruno Fernandes. So there is a guy that I think he will have some minutes, of course. So in a high demanding match, I think that Fernando Santos will choose always Danilo Pereira as the number six. The second guy to this position used to be uh, William Carvalho, but William is struggling with, with physical problems and now we have João Palhinha. So Danilo as the, the first option, as a number six, in front of Danilo, in this moment, in this moment, I think that we we will see Sergio Oliveira that is making fantastic matches for FC Porto. Uh, he is a real special guy, all, also. And alongside Danilo and Sergio, we have very good options. João Moutinho, as a extremely extremely experienced guy, Ruben Neves, fantastic with, uh, with the pass. Also Renato Sanchez. Uh, that is making a, a good season in Lille and Bruno Fernandes, of course, of Manchester United. I can tell you, I can tell you what will happen in the more demanding match. Fernando Santos will play with with Danilo, Bruno Fernandes, and maybe Sergio Oliveira. In this moment, I think these are the three most most important choices for the Portuguese midfielder. About João Palhinha, 
I'm looking forward to see Palhinha on the field, getting more minutes uh, from Fernando Santos. He is making a fantastic season. He's uh, with 25 years old, so a fantastic age. Uh, and he, he really deserves to play more often with the with Portuguese national team. Absolutely. Completely agree. So now I want to move on to the Esperanzas, Portugal's Esperanzas. U21 side. You know, this this is an incredible golden generation, the Portuguese class of 1999. They've been playing together for about six years now. Very compact group. You know, they've won. They won the U17 Euros back in 2016. They won the U19 Euros back in 2018. Unfortunately, this, you know, the U21 Euros is pretty much the last time we'll be getting to see them together at, at an international level. So it's a bit bittersweet, but they have done very well so far, you know, beating Croatia in their first group stage match, beating England, and they're going to play Switzerland and, and they'll, they'll likely finish top of the group. Uh, still not sealed through to the knockout rounds, but... Uh, I want to get your take on on what have you made of Portugal's opening two matches from the U21 Euros campaign. Who has stood out to you uh, the most, and what players do you think you know could be major assets to them uh, going forward for for the Selecao? Uh, Zach, listen. For example, Francisco Trincão, that is a guy that is playing Barcelona, was not in the starting eleven. To, uh, uh, for the second match, imagine that uh, it's a surprise, and it it resumes the quality of the uh, of this team, right? right. No, uh, my my first word, if you allow me, goes to uh, directly to Rui Jorge, our national coach. I don't know if you remember him as a left back playing for FC Porto and uh, Sporting Lisbon, but he was always that guy that never shines. Very humble, very intelligent very solid playing his, his, his role as a left back and he's a big, big surprise as a coach. He's making a fantastic job with a lot of players. So many names that got out of the under-21 national team and are now playing in a big European club or in the, in the major Portuguese national team. So if you look to the, to the goal, you have Diogo Costa. Diogo has capacity at the moment to be the first, uh, the, the number one in FC Porto. Unfortunately for, for him, bad luck, uh, Porto got uh, Agustin Marquez in, in Mexico and he's a, a fantastic goalkeeper also and only one can play. But Diogo is ready to play for FC Porto and he's a, a great goalkeeper. Then in, defend, uh, in the defense, you have uh, the Diogo's trio, Diogo Dalo playing in the left, Na, uh, then Diogo Leite and Diogo Queiroz that are playing together since they were t- 10 years old. First in Leixões, a small club here in the, in the Porto area, and then FC Porto and the, the, the Portuguese national teams. Then in the midfield... Pedro, Pedro if I may uh, interrupt, I believe Well, Felix was part of that team for... A yes. Bit. He was the captain, right? Yes, and uh, he still has the DH the the, the, uh, to be eligible but now uh, he's in another step of his career. But then, then in the midfield, uh, Zach, you have these guys. Look, you have Florentino, very good number six, playing in Monaco. You have Philippe Suárez, that is in, on the bench most of the time. There is a very interesting player of Moreirense. He used to belong to, to Istoril, uh, and now he's playing in Moreirense, uh, I think two or three seasons already, with very good numbers. Then you have Fabio Vieira, a guy that has a golden left foot. You have Vitinha, a guy that is playing already in the Premier League. You have Jetson, 
uh, that just played for, for Tottenham and now he's in Turkey. You have Daniel Bragança, uh, the wonder kid, uh, wonder kid of Sporting. So I'm saying all these names. Of course, I just can hope to see Portugal as a European champion in the under-21, really. Yeah, I absolutely love this class of 1999. Uh, and, you know, first and foremost, you do have to give credit to Huey George because he's done incredible things with this team, especially when you look at, you know, other youth coaches. I mean, England with I.D. Boothroyd, you know, the U.S. with Jason Kreis come getting eliminated to Honduras. So many undeserving managers. Uh, Huey George, on the other hand, has actually shown a lot of, I guess, managerial prowess uh, really changed the game against Croatia, you know, bringing on uh, Fabio Vieira and Dani Mota and, and, and Chico Conceição uh, really helped him to change the game. Against England, we saw a bit of a, a change from the 4-3-3 mm-hmm. that he set up yep. uh, against Croatia. True. He went more with a diamond, actually, this time. True, dropping, true. very well. Right, dropping Trincao, dropping Thiago Tomas, and putting in Fabio Vieira more as the 10, uh, with, with Dani Mota coming in as the striker over Thiago Tomas, playing alongside Pedro Gonçalves. I thought it was a really interesting format. And personally for me, I think the player who's caught the eye the most has been Vitor Ferreira, uh, Vitinha. Vitinha. He struggled for playing time you know, on, on loan at Wolves. But I, I do think that you know, his performances from this tournament. I, I think that it will go a long ways to convincing Nuno Espirito Santo to give him more playing time as well as to perhaps convince Wolves to take up 18 million pound option on him. Uh, if if they don't, then I think that I think that Sergio Conceição should certainly uh, consider giving Vitinha more minutes in the first team. But overall, for me, I think he's impressed me the most. But in, in general, been a very, very strong showing from the opening two games. Yes, yeah, like Vitinha, uh, last season when he appeared in a, in a FC Porto, it was a, a big surprise for me, for me. Not for his talent, of course, but for his uh, personality. The way he deals with the ball and with the game like an, an adult, like a, an experienced uh, player. It was amazing to see him. I'm a little bit surprised um, not to see Vitinha so often playing for Wolverhampton. He, he just has uh, 15 matches this season. He just just two times uh, playing as a starting eleven. So I was uh, hoping to see him playing more time with Nuno. Nuno knows him very well. Let's see what decision will be, will be in the end of the season. I'm really expecting to see Wolves playing that, uh, paying that uh, 8 million euros to, to FC Porto. Uh, if not, if not, uh, Sergio Conceição will be grateful for sure because Vitinha has the, the, the ability to, to, be, to be very special in the, in the near future. About the, the Portuguese uh, under-21 national team, just to end, I'm, I'm looking forward to see a little bit more uh, of Francisco Trincão in this uh, European Championship because I, I really like him. Uh, in the last match, as you mentioned, Fabio Vieira uh, played as a number 10 because he's very strong in the last pass, uh, the last decision. But Trincão can play also in that position. And it's so good to see Rui Jorge with such good options, so many good players on the bench. It, it's amazing for, for the Portuguese that uh, appreciate the football as myself to see uh, so many kids with so much talent. 
Absolutely. Uh, without any further ado, I want to get into our talent of the week section where we pick a uh, mm-hmm. player who's, who's impressing. Uh, who is your talent of the week for today's episode? Vitinha. Vitinha, for, for sure. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, in, the last, in the first two matches of Portuguese, Vitinha really caught my eye. He's so good with the ball. He's so calm taking the decisions on the field. He's really my kind of midfielder, you know? If I was the Portuguese coach of F- or, or FC Porto coach or Wolverhampton coach, Vitinha would be for sure my favorite midfielder. He's so intelligent, so brilliant with, with, with the ball. I, I'm really looking forward to, to see him playing more time in Wolverhampton because he has the ability to do that. So my name this week is uh, Vitor Ferreira, Vitinha. Very good choice. I guess that means I won't be able to pick him. So my pick for the talent of the week is actually going to be Dani Mota. Dani Mota. So a bit of an interesting one. Uh, Dani has actually never played in Portugal. He was born in Luxembourg, came up um, in, in Luxembourg before, before getting a move to Italy. Been playing in Italy's uh, lower leagues re- recently. And, uh, you know, he did get the chance to, to play for Juventus's, uh, I believe it was their U23 squad last season, got to train with Cristiano Ronaldo and, you know, got some experience despite never making an impact with the first team. But I believe he got his debut under Rui George in September 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And he has just uh, been very efficient. I must say, I think he's, he's, he's scored, I think it was five goals and five assists in 13 matches, had a you know, big impact off the bench against Croatia, and was given the starting spot uh, against England and did quite well, I must say. Kind of a physical forward capable of, of running the channels and holding up the ball, and, and he did that very well, you know, holding up uh, the ball and, and controlling those long balls and, and playing playing it to the likes of Peri, Correa, Pote. So overall, I was impressed with him. I'm not sure if he's if he's got the talent to make it to the first mm-hmm. team, but I have to give him credit because, you know, despite the fact that he's never played in a top-five league, currently playing for a Serie B side, Monza, he's done quite well for the national team. And, you know, I would expect him to keep his place in the starting lineup for tomorrow's match against Switzerland. Uh, I know there are some rumors that he might miss it due to injury, but if he's fit, I, I would probably expect him to make it into the starting lineup. What do you make of, of Dani Mota? A very interesting choice, uh, uh, Zach. Dani is like a, a little bit of enigma here in Portugal. We just saw him play for the under-21 national team because... Uh, as you mentioned, he is playing in the Serie B of Italy, and we don't watch uh, many matches of, of Dani during the season. He is now playing with with Mario Crazy Balotelli in Monza, <laughs> so it's quite a, a pair up in the front. And what I like most in Dani is that he is completely different from the the other Portuguese uh, forward. He has is a little bit more like an Italian striker, you know like uh, a Fabrizio Ravanelli, very strong, uh, getting space, uh, uh, good uh, with the ball also. Um, and I'm really enjoying to see Dani now. I think he's, he's uh, a better player now than used to be two years ago, for example. He played a, uh, many years in a small Italian club named Virtus Intella. Then he went to Sassuolo, to Juventus, but always playing in the second team. So he's a strange career, you know? I, I was expecting to see Dani playing the first team 
maybe in a, another Serie A club, a, a smaller club, but in Serie A. But okay, let's wait and see what the future will bring for, for Dani. Uh, now he's in Monza. He's trying to, to get promoted to the, to the Serie A. He's enjoying the, his relationship with the Portuguese uh, under 21. Uh, and maybe in the summer, uh, he can move to, to a better club because he's a really interesting uh, striker, in my, my opinion. Absolutely. But overall, it's just been a really fascinating uh, U21 Euros so far. We have, you know, the later games today as well as from, from for tomorrow's matches. So a lot of action to, to look for. But you know, overall, just I, I think there are so many promising young players in this Portugal side with the Diogos, Florentino Luis finally getting playing time after a tough loan spell at Monaco. And it's just it's just really exciting to see. But without further ado, thank you so much, Pedro, for coming on to the podcast today. It was a pleasure to have you on. And I hope to have you on again, uh, the Cortalinish podcast soon, maybe for a Euro preview. And thank you to everybody for listening to the Cortalinish podcast. We will have more episodes for you next week. But once again, thank you so much, Pedro, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Obrigado. As you say in Portugal, obrigado. Thank you so much. A, a real pleasure to, to be here with you. Obrigado. Beijo.